continue talking about healing, but I want to uh, hit a little bit of a different angle here. So, you know, there's different ways to approach healing, and some of it is just, you know, like moving forward, focusing on Jesus. But uh, this uh, it was probably last night something hit me. I just felt like we need to remove a roadblock. And so I'm going to give you the title of the message, then we're going to kind of work our way into it. Uh, moving beyond familiarity to faith. Moving beyond famili- familiarity. I'm, I'm probably going to have a hard time saying that word. And so just... Uh, just Fill in the blanks if I pronounce it wrong here. They say familiarity brings contempt. I'm already having trouble. <laughs> familiarity brings, breeds contempt is a, is a saying, and we're going to see it actually goes beyond that. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And so it's a familiar context, but a lot of times we don't read past it here. And Jesus came to Nazareth. This is his hometown where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So he, uh, where he was going, he was going, he was getting an Old Testament scroll, he was getting ready to read, that was a custom on the Sabbath day, then he would comment on it. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he's about to read from uh, the book of Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here's Jesus. He is in his hometown. Uh, he's reading Isaiah 61. Everyone is locked into what he's saying. Uh, Matt, we're gonna, actually, we'll get some more here in a second. So he sits down, and here's uh, verse 22. And all spoke well of him. There, uh, the, the New King James says, and, um, and everyone had the word confirmed in their hearts. So I want you to see what's happening. He's reading the scripture, and it's hitting people at a level. Like, they're connecting with, hold on, this is God. Jesus has just claimed that the scripture is talking about him. It's hitting their hearts at a spiritual level. They're actually having a spiritual experience. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Uh, um, the New King James says that all bore witness. I want you to get this. So not only are they bearing witness to something spiritual is happening, but they're realizing they're being impacted by the grace of God. Okay, the grace of God is God's empowering presence. So I want, I'm setting this up here because I want you to see how it turns here in just a second. So here's Jesus. Hey, this thing's talking about me. They're like, yeah, this is talking about you. We're impacted by it. We're bearing witness to this thing. We're experiencing God's presence as you're talking. And uh, this is genuine. And um, do you remember that passage that says Jesus could not do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief except lay his hands on a few sick people? You guys remember that? That's the exact same incident that we're about to read here. The context of this is this passage of Jesus doing this. Look at the very, uh, here, here it is in Mark 6. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed them. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are, how are such mighty works done by his hands? So we're getting another side of this. They're, they're blown away. Jesus has actually been performing miracles, and they're, they're in awe of this thing. They're experiencing God. And um, how are such mighty works done by his hands? Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And ready for this? And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. It's the same scene, the exact same scene here. 
So picture people are sitting there, they're being impacted by his words. There's this moment of openness where healings begin to happen. And then they raise the question, hold on a second, isn't this Joseph's son? Let's go back to Luke 4, verse 22 here. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. Um, in, in Capernaum, it says, uh, in Matthew, it says, Capernaum, God has raised you to the heavens. There were such miracles happening in Capernaum that it was actually like heaven on earth. It was like heaven had invaded earth. And uh, he's saying, you guys will say, yeah, do that here. Do that here for us. Like, show us a trick here. We've heard about these things, but we're not impressed. Do them here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Prophets are honored, but they're not honored by people that are familiar with them. And we've heard that familiarity brings contempt. And um, the reason God always wants you to first learn to minister at home is he wants you to minister where you're not going to be rewarded. If your ministry has, is, becomes addicted to accolades, you're never going to make it in ministry. So he always has you start in your hometown where you're ministering for the right reasons. A lot of people, they, wanna, uh, they say they want a ministry. They actually just want a platform. There's plenty of ministry all around when no one's looking. I'm not being honored. It's not your job to solicit honor. It's your job to give honor. Whenever you begin to solicit honor, it's counterfeit honor. It's flattery, and it's something perverse. I remember Danny Silk, uh, he, he teaches on the culture of honor, and he said pastors would bring him in and say, I want you to come here and teach on the culture of honor because my people aren't honoring me enough. Uh, that's kind of the exact opposite point of honor of you trying to get people to honor you. And so what I'm, not, I'm not talking about that here. <clears throat> it's really easy to build a lifestyle where your ministry develops where people don't know you, and that's what happens, and you become addicted to honor. Honor is a kingdom principle, but honor in the wrong hands becomes destructive when it begins to become turned towards honoring me and do things for me. I had a, uh, so I've, been, I've had some amazing opportunities in this last year to, to speak on some just awesome stages with some of my heroes. You guys may or may not know that, but it's, it's been really cool. And uh, I had a, a guy uh, pull me aside. It was uh, one of my heroes. And he said, Jim, I know awesome things are happening to you. He said, stay in awe of your opportunities. Never expect them. Oh, man, that was such good advice. Not like, oh, I'm not expecting anything to happen. But if I begin to expect to be treated in a certain way, I've just leveled off, and I'm probably going down. Many people sitting here, you have big ministry dreams and visions. If you don't, stick around a while. You will. <laughs> the glory that is on your life is more than you can comprehend. But too many people are waiting for some big ministry or position to drop on them. Then they will start ministering. Again, ministry always starts at home where you're not going to be rewarded. My pastor has a saying that says this, you have no more ministry to Christ's bride than you do to your own. Your ministry will never be stronger than your marriage. If you're like, well, hey, I, you know, God's calling me to do this thing and my spouse just not on the same page. Guess what? Your ministry will never be bigger than your marriage. <laughs> Hashtag message received. Help us, Jesus. 
Bobby Connor made a statement that's absolutely stunning to me. He says, guys, this is not a condemning message, I promise, but I feel like God wants to highlight some things. We can get rid of them. That picture that Sean had of the magnet sucking up the particles, I feel like uh, that's what this message wants to do. God just wants to take some things out of the way so that his, his presence and his will can flow in our lives. We can get rid of just some of these little silly things that are distracting us, okay? And so let me just make this statement. It is, it is I don't want to say haunted, but I don't know of a better word, uh, me for years. Bobby said this, we've become over-familiar with a God we barely know. And here's the thing, guys. We can become so familiar with the things of God, like healing and provision, that we uh, shut ourselves off from the power of them. I mean, here's people that Jesus is rocking and rolling and doing awesome things, and they're encountering God, and then they realize, hold on, we know this guy. They become familiar with the very thing that they were crying out for, and it shut them off from the power of God. And it didn't say Jesus wouldn't do any mighty miracles because they wouldn't honor him. It says he could not do it because of their unbelief. Their intellectual offense at the familiarity with this thing led them to unbelief, which shut off the power of God, of the miracle-working God right in their midst. Well, I believe in healing. I believe in prosperity. I believe in tongues. I believe in, I mean, we believe in these things. But we can become so familiar with them and amen the principles and yet not, not experience the power. If we are saying that we believe in something but there's no evidence of it in our life. We've got to take a fresh look and see if we really believe those things or if we just have an intellectual agreement with the doctrine. I'm not trying to be mean, gang. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. Are we okay? Can I say it again? I didn't have that one written down, so I'm not sure I can. <clears throat> Let me try. If we say we believe in healing and there's no evidence of healing happening anywhere in our lives, we've got to go and question, do I really believe in healing, or I just mentally agree with the doctrine? There's actually a passage in Mark 4 that says that um, you know, the, the, the word of God is like a seed, and it comes into a certain heart, and if it doesn't take root, the enemy can come and steal it. Here's the problem. He steals it from your heart. He doesn't steal it from your mind. And so when you hear something, and you intellectually agree with it, and it's good, but it doesn't produce any fruit in your life, you still think you've got something even though there's no fruit. So the next time someone comes and preaches it, you're applauding the doctrine of it. That's good. That's good. These people need to hear it. But there's no truth in my life. There's no fruit in my life. Because the enemy has stolen the seed from my heart, but he didn't steal it from my mind. And we think because we're in an environment. Listen, gang, there's a scary verse in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, someone came to Jesus and said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did all this awesome stuff. He's like, I don't even know you. You can actually be in an environment of breakthrough and see breakthrough. But if you don't allow it to what it actually is, is an invitation to intimacy, then there can be a really scary time. We can agree with the doctrine and get 100% on the doctrine exam, but if it's not touching our lives, gang, we don't actually know it. In the Bible, understanding is an experience. It's not an ability to get 100 on a test. And so I was, um, I was on staff at a, at a large church, our first ministry position, and the, uh, boy, I probably shouldn't have said that much, but anyway, I, 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 don't want, I don't want to cast anything negative on anyone. This was my experience, and this is my fault. And so in the, uh, in the order of service that we had, usually after the second fast song, they would call up the, the men, uh, the elders of the church or whatever, and we'd be up there in our dark suits, remember those, and, and so we'd be up there. And we would, uh, they would say, you know, James chapter 5, any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. 
prayer offering and faith will make the sick, they will anoint them with oil. The prayer offering and faith will make the sick person well. We'll be up there in our bottles of oil. We would pray a week after week and nothing would happen. And nobody seemed bothered that nothing was happening. But we believed in the doctrine of healing. We believed in healing so much that we were actually giving an order of service to it, but there was no power being released. And so um, one fateful Sunday morning, uh, my wife says, what's, she says this on the way home, what's the difference between us and our neighbor who isn't saved? She's like, they give to the poor, we give to the poor. They serve in the city, we serve in the city. There's no power demonstration difference between us and them. I was like, OMG. Like, I don't really want to think about these things. And um, so it was, almost, it was kind of a crisis of faith. And I realized, man, she's right. Like, we, there, if it's in the word, it has to be in my life. We can't just be content to have the right answers. The whole point of the written word is to, leave us to lead us to the living word so that we can become those living epistles. Someone write that down. That was better than anything I got written down here. The point of the Bible is not to be able to argue doctrine. The point of the Bible is that we become like Jesus. Okay? And so we're, we're there. And so um, next week, Mary did something radical. She uh, came up and was the only woman up there. So it's all men in dark suits. And Mary, pray for the sick. Yes. And, um, and so, uh, you know, you could just see just, it caused uh, no small stir. And so um, I don't know what happened. The, the wives must have been chewing their husband's ear off on the way home because the next week, all the wives were up there with the men in the dark suits. And so it, um, but it, it, it began this process, this journey of, here's what religion is, is form without power. We're praying for the sick. We're anointing them with oil, just like the Bible tells us to. We're doing the right things, but there's no power released in it. And no one seemed bothered by it because we were doing the right things. There's no shame in giving it your best shot and staying hungry and learning and pursuing. The shame is when you're just doing it just to do it. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Is there any power being released? I don't know. God opposes the proud, but what do the humble get? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives his empowering presence. I think recognizing that, hey, maybe we don't have it all, even though we may believe right. Aren't you so glad we've got perfect doctrine? Oh, man, it feels so good. I heard someone say there's 33,000 Christian denominations in the United States. Aren't you glad you belong to the right one? Maybe it starts with us saying, you know, maybe we don't have it all together. Holy Spirit, maybe we need you to come and touch us afresh on these things. He opposes the proud. I don't, I don't want God opposing me. It doesn't say he just cuts you off. He opposes the proud. Oh, man. But he gives grace to the humble. So Jesus, he continues on in this passage in Luke, and he gives two illustrations from the Old Testament to explain what's going on. And so the context, remember, is this familiarity that leads to Offense that leads to unbelief. That's the whole context. And he's going to give two stories that explain this from the Old Testament. Verse 25. <clears throat> but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. This is pretty offensive. It's interesting. The two illustrations he's going to give are on health, on wealth and finances and healing. 
He's going to give two illustrations of this here. This is pretty offensive. He says, um, listen, there was a whole bunch of widows during that time of famine in Israel, but Elijah, God's prophet, wasn't sent to any of them. He was sent to this widow in Zarephath instead. Remember, the whole context, why did this happen? Is because they did not honor what God was doing in Elijah's life. There was this familiarity. There was this contempt. And so God could not work through that. If you'd have just read the Elijah story, you never would have got that. But Jesus is telling it in this context, and you're about to see, they are about to get ticked. They did not like this story. He gives a second illustration. So he gives this illustration of God's will for provision. Remember, he had just announced, God's got good news for the poor. And now he's using an illustration of what God wants to do in somebody's, poor, in, uh, somebody's life who's poor. Give them supernatural provision, even in the midst of a famine. Verse 27. <clears throat> and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Listen, it would be mean if somebody brought these illustrations up if it hadn't have been Jesus. If someone was like, listen, Jesus, uh, he was sent to you guys, but you didn't honor him enough, so he had to go over here and, he- and heal people who weren't even part of the covenant. I mean, Jesus is the one that was, says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Remember the Syrophoenician woman who comes up for healing? Jesus is like, hey, am I supposed to take healing and give it to the dogs, the children's bread, and give it to the dogs? I mean, Jesus had this clear mission to Israel first because they were to be a light to the Gentiles. But when there was a familiarity there, God's like, I still want my will to be done, and if I can find a hungry heart, I'll flow it into them. In the absence of honor, you can live in the midst of absolute spiritual wealth and die in absolute spiritual poverty. I'm here. Jesus is right before them. But because they got a little bit too familiar with this guy, don't we know this? Don't we, is any of the carpenter down the street? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? There's this familiarity with it. Something that happens with that familiarity. I remember, uh, so my first couple years at Zion, I, I had a lot of speaking engagements in Columbus to teach on healing. And so a lot of times we kind of take the same people. And so I remember there's this one lady, um, doesn't go to church here anymore, I bless her, and um, and she had heard a lot of it, and I, as far as I knew, she had not seen anybody healed, wasn't praying for anybody was healed, and uh, she makes a statement to me. So, are you going to give us anything new tonight? And in my heart, I wanted to say, I'll give you something new when you live out the last ten things, but I didn't say that. <laughs> I just was, you know, just like, whatever, you know. And uh, to contrast that, Ryan Myers, are you here? Ryan Myers has heard me share healing, the, the same healing message uh, more than anyone else other than my wife. My poor wife has heard this, these messages so many times. Uh, not the last three I've done. I, those, those are new. But <clears throat> it was interesting. I would preach the exact same message, same illustrations. I mean, probably 99% of the same stuff. And uh, Ryan came and was traveling with me a lot. And he would text me and say, Jim, that was so fresh tonight. I don't know where you got that from. Hey, you going to give us anything new? No flow of healing through this person's life. They actually were in the hospital and didn't even ask us to come pray for them. Like, like healing hadn't even touched them to that level of expecting. This is when we're seeing tons of miracles. They didn't ask it. They got another person who's hearing the same message and saying it's so fresh. And Ryan uh, actually helped us build the healing culture here at Zion these first couple of years with what he was doing outside the walls of the church. Just want to give those two different Same input, different hearts, different results. I didn't ask you permission, Ryan, but I wasn't dogging you. I was blessing you, so I figured it was okay. 
what happened? There was an honoring of the Spirit of God, even though the messenger was familiar. I, uh, when I was in, on staff in Winston-Salem, I, had, I was fresh out of seminary and uh, was really full of pride. It was, I was really uh, good at debate. I was pretty quick on my feet, had a good memory. And, um, and I had all the reasons why healing wasn't for today. So I believed in it, but I had all these excuses for it. And there was these two guys who were uneducated. They just loved Jesus. They were hairdressers, uh, Mike and Bobby. They were a father and son. And these guys had thick southern accents. These guys were uneducated. They did not have all the Greek and Hebrew and intellectualism that I had. But they would cut people's hair and they would pray for them and people would get healed in their chairs. And I would come over in my pride and I would begin to debate them and tell them why their theology was wrong. And they had no answers. I could tie them up in theological knots. But they had a power going on in their life. And I had arguments. And I remember I got to a point of desperation of just searching this thing and trying to get everything to work for healing. Well, you know, I was like, why are these guys getting it? I remember the Lord had me go and humble myself and say, listen, I need you guys to pray for me. I need what you have. Nothing, there was not one healing that flowed through my life as I had this familiarity with these common people with thick southern accents and no accent, but they had the power of God. There was not one drop of anointing that flowed through my life for healing at all. And I tried until I humbled myself. And I said, listen, guys, you've got something that I don't understand. Will you lay hands on me? I don't know if you remember that, Mary. Will you lay hands on me and pray for me? And they were very gracious, and they, and they did. And I, you know, it, everything changed when I did that. Familiarity actually keeps us from the grace of God that rests on a person's life. The Jews in Nazareth, they had the Son of God standing right there, the miracle worker. They heard him speak. It's ringing in their truth. They're experiencing the presence of God. But in their minds, they rehearsed how ordinary they were. <clears throat> Listen, gang, we can do the same thing. We bring in guest speakers. We tell healing testimonies. We teach on healing. We have healing chairs. We have healing rooms. We have healing trainings. And yet we can harden our hearts and say, you know what? We've, we've heard this stuff before. Yeah, I've been prayed for before by this stuff. And yeah, I've heard that speaker before. I, you know, it was kind of low level. I didn't really get anything out of that person. And um, yeah, they had some great testimonies that work in other churches, but I haven't really seen much here. And you begin to get this familiarity. And the very thing that God may want to use to change your life, you become offended. And now you're in unbelief. You're still showing up. You're still coming. You're, you're still, but it's like, let's see if you got anything new. How are we doing? We can become familiar with communion. It says in the Bible that people, they became so familiar with it, they, they did not discern the Lord's body. In other words, they didn't feast on the reality that this is the body of Jesus, and it says as a result, they got sick and died. The very thing that God gave us to remind us of his healing covenant, when they did not consider it, it had the opposite effect on them. Instead, they got drunk, and they were partying. They were so familiar with something so holy, they actually turned it into a party and got drunk. Speaking in tongues, people, oh, that's the least of the gifts. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Are you stupid? His least gifts are better than anything you can come up with. I can't think of another thing that guarantees that when you do it, it builds up your inner man. It's like a spiritual dynamo on the inside. 
And yet, um, I'll tell you what, all through the 80s, you couldn't find a charismatic church where there wasn't a message in tongues every week. And the people began to get embarrassed. And the tongues was a little different. Uh, boy, when I bring a guest, I sure hope they don't have a message in tongues. And now, good luck finding a church where you heard of the gift of, the, of tongues and interpretation happen in any charismatic church in America. What happened? We became familiar with it, and God's like, okay. Ours included. Worship. We can become familiar with worship. So much to the point that, boy, I'm not trying to condemn anybody if you came late today. But when you plan on coming late because you know that it's going longer anyway, there's a familiarity with God's presence there. And you're wondering why you're getting nothing out of it. I just wrote these during worship. This is all fresh stuff here, so. <laughs> Prophecy. It's interesting. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, I believe it's 5, um, something like that. And so uh, it says, despise not prophecies. So apparently they got to a point there where it was so common. If someone were to stand up here and call you out and say, God has given you a season of upgrade, that's kind of a common word. And some people may not even get excited about it because they're familiar with that kind of word. Well, I need something more specific. That's kind of low level. Yeah, I've heard something like that before. I think I heard them give that same word to somebody else. The familiarity of that word has shut you off from the very power of it. And now you're waiting for something a little bit higher level. I need, I need a higher level prophet. I need Sean Bowles to call me out and give me my social security number. And then I'll... I guarantee if Sean calls you out, it still wouldn't affect you because your heart is hardened. How we doing? All right. It's worth it for that little one there. Uh, speakers and preachers. Uh, Jim's not speaking this week. Man, I wish we'd have known that. I'd have stayed home. We used to actually have people call and find out if this was the week that I was speaking. Guys, God will often put his very words in the mouth of somebody that you may not like or you may not expect. I can't believe the heart of David. His son Absalom has usurped the throne. He's being driven out of uh, his own kingdom that he built. And there's this guy mocking him. And his, uh, his uh, armor bearer is getting ready to draw a sword and slay the guy. And David says, no, hold on a second. He may have the word of the Lord for me. What kind of humility is that to be able to receive from somebody that is very unlikely. And so we, we bring in guest speakers, not because we're looking to fill the calendar. I encourage you that, boy, whoever is standing up here, um, in the Old Testament, God could use a jackass to speak to someone. <laughs> and he still can. I remember we, uh, you know, one of the things I appreciated we, uh, we had, uh, when I first was here, we had an elder board, and I remember Kevin Costello said, um, I don't even need music to worship. I can worship to a vacuum cleaner. It was the idea. It was like, it's not about this, this perfect atmosphere, the right speaker, the person. It's about this heart. And here's, here's what Mark chapter 4 says. It says, pay attention to how you listen. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The context of that is the 30, 60, 100-fold seed. So how do, you, how do you receive a greater harvest from the word? It's pay attention to how you listen. The value that you place on the word determines the amount of harvest you'll receive from that word. And if you come into a service and you're familiar with it, boy, I, I think I've heard Jim speak on this before. Oh, uh, you know, Todd Bentley, yeah, you know, I think I've heard everything he has to say. And 
Pay attention to how you listen. The measure that you, that, guys, that familiarity, it's not just this thing where you're a little bit bored. It's actually a spiritual suicide where you're inviting unbelief into your heart and cuts you off the very things that you on a doctrine claim that you believe. So how about we get to how, oh, oh by the way, the goal of all those things, communion, tongues, worship, preaching, prophecy, dreams in the night, um, you know, people don't even write down their dreams anymore. And they wonder why God's not giving them anymore. You've become so familiar with it that you don't even write them down. How are we doing? I'm not trying to condemn anybody. If you're feeling condemned, I am sorry. It's called conviction. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is say, guys, we got to get rid of these things. Because all of those things, communion, tongues, worship, speaking, preaching, prophecy, dreams, healing, all those things are pointing us to Jesus. The very one who was standing in front of them at Nazareth. The very, all these things are pointing to him. And if we become familiar with it, we get to miss him. So here's what I propose. Okay? The secret to staying encouraged every day of your life is to keep your attention on what God is doing and what he has done and not what he hasn't done. I learned this, uh, I learned this from Bill Johnson. I'll never forget. I'm, I'm not trying to name drop <clears throat> Bill Johnson. <laughs> Mary and I, in uh, May 2014, we got a one-hour sit-down with Bill in his office. It was an absolute delight. And uh, so we, another name drop, we met with Danny Silk beforehand for breakfast. And Danny's like, listen, Bill knows uh, the testimonies from your church, but he may not connect it with you. He's like, why don't you just tell him a couple just to kind of refresh who he is. I'm like, okay, that's great, Danny. And so you know, we had our little game plan. We're going in there for Bill. And, uh, and so Bill's so gracious, and we're sitting down with him. And uh, he's like, well, what's going on? I said, well, hey, let me just, uh, Danny asked us to tell a couple stories. And so I'm so familiar with these stories I'm running through these insane testimonies of people getting out of, you know, short people getting out of wheelchairs, growing seven to eight inches taller, and people who are mentally retarded at shopping malls getting out of wheelchairs, walking and talking, and just stories that are just absolutely mind-blowing. I'm bullet-pointing them to Bill. Oh, yeah, we had this happen, we had this happen, we had this happen. And I, I don't know how it explained. I, I think I've talked about it here before. Bill was literally feeding on these words. I'm bullet-pointing them. And he's going, oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's my Jesus. And it wasn't doing it as a good listening technique. He was actually allowing the gracious words that were coming off my lips to find a lodging place. So it wasn't just a good story that he could go and repeat. It was really feeding his spirit. See, the Bible says, it's interesting, the disciples, they said they considered not the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and they weren't able to multiply food the next time. It says, Abraham considered not his body dead, but considered the one who was faithful, uh, the one who was promised, more than fully able to accomplish that which he promised. It just depends on what you're considering. He didn't consider his body dead, but he considered God as faithful. As I was talking, I'm realizing Bill is considering the things that I'm saying and allowing them to feed him. In John chapter 5, there was a miracle of the pool of Bethesda. There was a man who was there... Uh, he was crippled. We don't know for how long. <clears throat> and imagine the newspapers today, if they were to go and report on that event. Let's just, there was lots of people there who, who were sick, and it were only, the Bible only reports of one getting well. 
Imagine a reporter came. Let's just say there's 20 other people at, at the pool of Bethesda. And the, the reporter began to report on the 19 who weren't healed. How did it feel when Jesus passed you by? How does it make you feel that this other person... Guys, if you begin to feed on what God has not done, you're toast. They're done. Like they, they, you, will, you will build a case for why you're justified in your unbelief. Well, I've been prayed for. I've fasted. I've done this and that. And I'm not seeing anything happen. You've just built a case for why it's okay for you to harden your heart against God. You become so familiar with those things. And so what I'm saying is the key to ongoing strength is feeding ourselves on what God is doing and what he has done. Keeping my heart anchored in what God has done and is doing positions myself to be the answer for what he's about to do. I had a whole different message plan, gang, but I just really feel like uh, that picture, Sean, that you got of that magnet sucking up those things, I feel like there just needs to be a humbling and a commitment to feed. Now, this isn't like your own strength. Okay, God, I promise I'm going to do this. But there's a, boy, there's just a humbling and a softening of, God, I, I don't have all the answers. You know, I was, I was taking a walk with the dog this morning, and I was like, God, I, I, I don't know how to lead Zion. I'm not smart enough to do it. Lord, I need, I need your input. And I, I pray that prayer fairly regularly, but I just need to stay in that posture of recognizing because I can read books and I can have good ideas and I can do things and I can, I can begin to get a little off on stuff. And it's only when I soften. And, I, and I, so I feel like there is, first of all, needs to be that repenting for familiarity. Whether it's time, I mean, guys, we, <clears throat> I think we've maybe had five messages in tongues and interpretations in 10 years here. And we're a charismatic church that, is known for being a charismatic church in our city. I'm not saying we got to get that back. I don't know. I'm just saying, well, we've lost something. And so I, I guess what I'm calling for here is just a, a repenting of that familiarity. I don't like to do a, an intense focus on self, but uh, like Sean was praying this morning, God, just come and search. God, just suck those things up because none of us, there's no one in this room that wants any of that stuff here. It's like, I feel like, like, just deal with it, like, rip the Band-Aid, you know, just deal with it quickly. Whatever you got to do, God, just in my heart. And so, um, and so, hey, let's just go ahead and do that. <sighs> Holy Spirit, you are awesome. And I feel like you're highlighting things and removing obstacles so that we can become the answer and not just have the answers. Yeah, we want to become the answers. And so, God, we repent of... Just, uh, of just being familiar with healing doctrine and not allowing it to penetrate our heart and drive us to our face and become the kind of people who can carry the answer. And with finances and prophecy and tongues and all these things, Lord, we, just, we pray that you would just magnetize those things out of our hearts, those little particles. God, we don't want them there. And Lord, I just rejoice. Lord, we rejoice in the promise that uh, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and just say, God, we, we can't do this. We can't figure it out. We don't even want to try. But we recognize that you are great. We humble ourselves. Father, we need you. We need you. We need to be able to come afresh to you. We ask for a grace to see these things through a new lens, a new excitement. 
And Lord, anything that the enemy is using to just beat somebody up, I just break that off right now. If you're feeling discouraged and down and squished, I break that off. That's the enemy. That's not the Lord. But if there's this hope of being pulled towards him, of yes, God, I'm, I'm coming to you wide open again. Jesus, touch us. I've been talking for a little bit. I'm just going to take a few moments of silence here and just allow you just to talk to the Lord, whatever is going on between you and him. Just while you're talking to God, too, just keep your eyes closed. Um, I've had a few people today come up to me and uh, just talking about how the Lord really wants to help people get over offense and unforgiveness. And I just can't ignore that when you've got three people telling you that's what God wants to do. (laughs) And so just while you're in that same posture, if we want to fully give ourselves to Jesus, we have to fully let go of those things that we're holding on to. We can't take that stuff with us. It doesn't mix with Jesus. And I was just thinking about this story that Jim told um, when he had to go humble himself to the hairdressers. And, you know, none of us have arrived. And I think we get so offended at each other when we haven't arrived and we make mistakes. And, like, maybe somebody has offended you give him a break. You know what I mean? Somebody had to give Jim a break from acting like an idiot. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so if there's just anybody, just ask the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, is there any, any offense I'm carrying? Is there anybody that I'm having a hard time forgiving today? Just bring him up to my mind. I think you'll know pretty quick. And and then just give them to the Lord. God, I just give you t- this person to you. I give them a chance to grow just like you gave me a chance to grow, just like other people gave me a chance to grow and make mistakes. I forgive them. Even if they think they're right, it's okay. I release. I release. I release all anger. I release unforgiveness, frustration. In the name of Jesus, I release it. I let it go. Lord, I want to fully come to you, fully let go of those things so I can fully come to you. In the name of Jesus. As we get ready to close out, I just think that's, uh, I think it's just kind of marching orders, a feed on what God is doing and hasn't done. And there's some things that you might need to do in here to consider not, you know, You've got a short window when someone gives you a negative report to deny that thing access to your heart. 
I remember Mary, she had a fever for about 12 days during the summer, and we went to the emergency room, and um, the lady came back. She said, well, it could be lymphoma. It could be, and she named all these horrible diseases. And I had about five seconds on what I was going to do with that thing. And uh, this doctor was so arrogant. I'm not saying all doctors are. I'm not, not at all. We love, we love doctors. This one was so arrogant. And I said, show me the evidence that th- this could be lymphoma. I said, you haven't shown me one thing. I mean, she's trying to plant this. This could be lymphoma. I said, there's, I said, there's no lymphoma. I said, show me the evidence. Well, it could be in the early stages. Show me the signs of the early stages. Well, it's actually not there. <laughs> Guys, we could, have, we could have partnered with that diagnosis. Okay, there's a spiritual reality to sickness as well as a physical reality. Sometimes they're entwined. Some of you have received reports, and all the doctors are doing is reporting the facts as they see them. I'm not saying that they're, they're all wrong. I'm saying you cannot partner with that diagnosis. Some of you received some horrible news, and you have partnered with it. Some of you are more familiar with the statistics and uh, have self-diagnosed, and you know all the gossip of movie stars and all the sports statistics, but you don't know the word of God. You've considered one thing and allowed it access to your heart, but you have not considered another. Gang, if we're going to be the church God's called us to be, and you're going to be the person God's called you to be, there's only one scripture that guarantees your success in life, and that's meditating on God's word. And if you will meditate on the bad news of this world, you're going to be a hot mess. Okay, and so I'm, I'm, I am not trying to be mean here, but friends tell the truth. And so I just, some of you have considered this report as higher than God's word. Guys, you cannot be moved by what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. You have to be moved by God's word and it alone. And so you, it's not just a matter of quoting these scriptures and confess it and until he blesses it, or what you know, just all this stuff, these formulas. It's about, you know, Ephesians 5 says that the word of God is like, it's like a, a washing of the word. It's like that soap gets in there and into the fabric and it pulls up the dirt and, and it lifts it off of it. There's this, there's got to be this time of the, of the word of God having that time to work into my mind, into my consciousness. One of the pictures of meditation, I'm not sure if you've ever had this. You've been thinking about something so intently you find yourself talking to yourself about it. Has anybody had that happen? That's one of the biblical pictures of meditation. Is I'm literally thinking about it so much that I begin muttering it to myself. Another picture of meditation is I'm dialoguing with God. Well, God, what does it look like from here? Show me how this truth applies to the situation. I'm waiting for him to breathe on that thing, not just do some mental gymnastics. And so it's always done with him. And so some of you have received a bad report and you've partnered with it or you're in danger of partnering with it. Listen, you got about five to 10 seconds when you get that report before that seed gets planted in your heart. Okay, otherwise it may take an hour or two to get rid of. That's just my personal experience. I'm not trying to give you a law. But if you're in here and you've done that, I would encourage you right now, um, recognize it and say, God, I, I'm, not, I'm no longer partnering with that diagnosis you're not calling the doctor a liar. I mean, there, there may be a scan that shows something, but that's not the final report. The doctors are reporting the present. They're not reporting what's possible. And so I would encourage you, you know, there was a lady about an hour and a half from here. She spoke uh, last weekend. Uh, their church has seen 15,000. She's from South Africa. Her husband passed away. And their church has seen 15,000 people get out of wheelchairs. 
and, and get rid of their crutches. Okay. She says, I don't like to pray for people, uh, especially in America, to be healed because there's so much disappointment because their minds are so unrenewed. So we feasted on all of these other things and we want to come up and have someone do some magic trick and lay hands on us. And she's like, I don't even like to do it because people leave so disappointed. I mean, she didn't say that publicly. Yeah, my friend had her in the church. I'm like, hey, how was this lady? And, and, uh, and he said, literally, when she wasn't preaching, she was in the word. I'm thinking, how do you have 15,000 people? That's insane. I guess her church is just decorated with wheelchairs and crutches. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. What would it look like to take that kind of raw power and bring it into our government? To bring it into our school system? I'm not talking just about the healings and miracles, although that sure sounds like fun. I know I've had dreams of me being in front of the Senate and the power of me speaking the power of God, blasting senators right in their seats. Was it figurative or literal? Who cares? I don't know. I look forward to becoming the kind of person who can carry that with humility. But what would it look like for that kind of level of breakthrough in businesses that actually changes the atmosphere of a city to the way employees are treated, to the way, the way that prosperity is used to solve city problems? And it's going to have to come from us getting our minds renewed in the word of God and not just on good business principles. All right, so stand for closing prayer. I've been yapping at you for enough. I don't want you to walk out of here with, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. But just a softening of the heart of, God, I need you. And if you get to the point of hungry enough that you're going to change. God, I need to feed my mind on something different. If you've received a diagnosis, you partner with it, you need to break that thing off. We're going to have our our ministry teams come up. Let them pray the prayer of faith with you. So ministry teams, just go ahead and come on up. They'll be the ones with tags on. Maybe someone forgot their tags. I don't know. The reason we um, have our, our teams is because we, we want our best to be praying for you. And if, you, if you're here and we don't know you, we're not saying we don't have a ministry. It's just a safety thing. And so uh, take our healing training, get on a team. We'd love to have you. So, Jesus, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. Whew. Jesus, we need you. Josh Lawrence and I, he's the pastor from uh, Pickerington. We ate uh, lunch with my pastor, Cletty Keith. Cletty's the uh, hungriest man that I know. He just, he just walks in continual revival and hunger. And Josh asked him, how do you keep up your hunger? And he looked up at the ceiling and he took a deep breath. He says, every day I look in the mirror and I remember my humanity. And I thought, that's kind of an odd answer. Then he went on and explained it. You know, he just recognizes, in my, week, in, in my humanity, I can't do a whole lot. I need God. And that's what keeps them hungry, just recognizing apart from God, I can do nothing. So Holy Spirit, just help us to have that awareness of that tension. Apart from you, we can do nothing, but with you, all things are possible. Let us have the humility to recognize that every single day, every moment. And Lord, I, 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 we, we just confess that we've, we've fallen short in a lot of areas, and we're looking for grace those who have received difficult diagnosis, I pray for a grace right now to break that mindset that is partnered with it, that's already planning their funeral. I break that off in the name of Jesus. Whether they're watching online, listening, whatever it is, I break that thing off in the name of Jesus. 
And just like Abraham in Romans 4, I can, I, he didn't consider that his body was already dead. He couldn't have kids anymore. He considered that the one who promised is faithful. So Holy Spirit, blow on that in the name of Jesus. Guys, we love you, and uh, we have not arrived, but we have left, and we're going uh, to continue going after this thing. I just feel like we needed to get rid of some of this stuff. So thank you for being so gracious. Bless you guys. If you like some prayer for healing, just someone to agree with you for something impossible, our teams are uh, available. God bless you guys. Bless our children's work. I just have one really quick. Um, Sherry, come here real quick. Do you have your word? Do you need to get it? Okay. Sherry just has a word that um, she feels like it's for somebody out there, and so just letting her release that real quick. During, uh, well, first during pre-service prayer, um, the word billionaire came to mind that God wanted to minister to billionaire, even poor people. <laughs> and during, during worship, I mean, it just really, toward the end of it, it was just really just intercession over the person that you're thinking crazy thoughts, maybe even suicide, that God wants you to live, and he loves you. He wants you to live and be free. All right, bless you guys.